I mean, I want to welcome you all here this morning. I want to welcome those of you online. And uh, again, the song said, with, we, we didn't really go through a lot of commotions trying to select songs, because that was Kate's thing. And I simply said to her, it's Christmas, let's just do Christmas songs and you'll be fine. But to try to clarify things, I've got to tell you the story, to try to clarify things for her, I, I often give my, my text. And so I told her that my text was uh, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And she said, for Sunday? <laughs> I said, you'll be surprised how Christmassy that is. She says, looking forward to it. Well, here's the thing. My title this morning is Christmas, the rest of the story. My text, do we have that picture up there? Oh, we do. I, I was so thankful and just grateful that uh, this picture was found. Uh, Carolyn Pasquale told me, I found a picture because she was also trying to figure out how I was going to do this sermon. And on the left-hand side, it's obvious that it's a cradle. We know that represents the baby Jesus who came into our world. And in the distant future, you see three crosses. Amen. That is why this baby came into the world to do that. And the reason why that is so awesome is the fact that that baby was born, was a king, and that man who died was a king. And he's the king of the universe. Amen. And that, that's Christmas. And that's my sermon. So I'll see you next week. <laughs> anyway... I thought it was great. You're, my text, the, uh, the title is all printed in the, your handouts together with the sermon outline for your easy reference. You know, I always ask you to walk with me through Psalm 1914 because it becomes important. I know I say do it all the time, but uh, we, we preach the word of God. We trust that our words are his thoughts. Our words. And so I always pray that these words and, and the meditations in my hearts be acceptable to him because if I have Jesus' approval, I don't care who else objects. That's the only one that counts for me, is that Jesus says, that's my word. So dear Lord, this morning let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen? You know, as a kid, there were two things that I absolutely hated to do. I hated to go to a movie late because I despised missing the beginning of a story. I discovered that the later you go to a movie, the more difficult it is to figure out the plot. And by the time you figure out the plot, the movie's over. But I also hate it to go to a movie. Doesn't happen to a lot of people, but I was raised by grandparents that had enough and they're gone. Well, I had to, if I went to a movie and then I had to leave before it was over, because even to this day I hate to see or hear something, get interested in it, and then have to leave wondering about the rest of the story. So whenever I hear any story, it's important for me to get the full story and to get that story in the order 
the proper order. Now I love the story of Christmas. And I believe that both adults and children alike still thrill at the story of a star, the shepherds, the savior. We love to paint a picture of this baby lying in the manger, the shepherds kneeling, and the angels singing, and the cows mooing, the stars shining. But the told story of Christmas is not actually the complete story of Jesus, the Christmas child. See, every story has three parts, an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. Now at Christmas, we get trapped, and we only get the introduction to the Christmas story. But listen, if you want to know the real story of Christmas, you've got to know the rest of the story. The full story of Christmas has three chapters. This morning, we're going to be listening to Paul's theological version of the Christmas story in Philippians 2. Each chapter that's mentioned in my outline is part of a a three-part story. And that three-part story is presented to us by the Apostle Paul. So we begin with the first one. First chapter of our story, that's a son in a cradle. You know, now in our text, Paul gives no details about this birth. He leaves that to Matthew and to Luke. Matthew and Luke have looked at the birth of Jesus historically, but Paul looks at it theologically. Matthew and Luke see the historical event, but Paul gives the theological background. Matthew and Luke tell how the birth of Jesus happens, but Paul tells us what it meant. And so first, consider your A in your outline, his heavenly identification. You know, in our text, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Paul states very plainly, that Jesus Christ was God. He was not just a great prophet, not just a great teacher, not just a great man. As a matter of fact, you don't have those options available to you. Either Jesus was God or he was not. Either Jesus was Lord or he was not. Either Jesus was divine or he was not. And these are the only options you have. And the Bible plainly says, that Jesus was God who had come in human flesh. He was literally God who had come forth in a human body. And the Bible says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You cannot even understand Christmas, much less celebrate it, unless you understand that that little baby born in that lowly stable, in that little cradle, 2,000 plus years ago, was none other than God who had come in human flesh. You see, Jesus was exactly what we needed. We needed a Savior who could die for our sin. Therefore, we needed a man, because only a man could die. But we needed a sinless man. For only a sinless man can die for the redemption of our sins. But only God is sinless. 
So we did not need just a man, nor did we need just God. We needed a man-God. We needed a God-man, and that was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the one thing that separates true Christianity from a false cult is that that cult will ultimately deny the deity of Jesus Christ. And it is at this point that the cradle that rocked that baby must be the cradle that rocks the world. For you see, there are those who bristle at the thought of the Trinity. They reject that there is a God the Father, a God the Son, and a God the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God, singular, said, let us, plural, make man. You say, that is poor grammar. Yes, it is, but it's great theology because the Bible makes it plain that God is a triune God. That doesn't mean that I and you worship three gods. I only worship one God, for there is only one God, but he has manifested himself in three persons. Now, that should not surprise you. All that God created is Trinitarian. For example, when you think about space, you think about height, length, and depth. But space is one. When you think about time, you think about past, present, and future. But time is one. And when you think about man, you must think about body, soul, and spirit. But man is one. You worship one God, some say, but one plus one plus one is three. We say no. One times one times one is one, and Jesus Christ is that one God. If Jesus was not God, then Christmas may as well be a fable, because that means that Jesus is no more of use to us than Santa Claus. But Jesus is not a man among men, He's not first among equals. He's not the greatest among the great. Jesus Christ is God. That was his heavenly identification. Secondly, you're all going to consider B, his human incarnation. In our text, verse 11, Paul says, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So Paul not only tells who Jesus was, he tells how he came into this world. Out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe, through the portals of a virgin womb, came the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the most amazing doctrine in the Bible is that God became man. He came in human flesh. Yes, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But John went on to say in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ was God who had come in human flesh. Now listen, Jesus Christ was a man. But the blood of God flowed through his veins. You see, the bloodline does not come through the mother. The bloodline comes through the father. And that's why Jesus was sired by the Holy Spirit. His blood had to be pure. It had to be untainted by human sin. The blood of sinful Adam flows through my veins 
but the blood of sinless God flowed through his. You know, respiring within the lungs of Jesus was the breath of God, and beating within the breast of Jesus was the heart of God, flowing within the veins of Jesus was the blood of God. Jesus had come in the flesh. You know, I read a little story of a little girl in her bedroom. On a very stormy night, and she was afraid of the thunder and the lightning and the rain and the wind. And she began to cry, and her mother went up to check on her and to comfort her. And the mom said, Honey, you're not alone in this room. God is with you. The Lord is with you. And then she started to leave the room, and the little girl started crying again. The mother went back and said, Honey, I told you that God is with you. And the little girl said, But Mommy, I want somebody with skin on. (laughs) Well, Jesus Christ was God with skin on. And that's exactly the kind of Jesus that we need. But that is only the first chapter in the story of Christmas. Consider second in your outline the second chapter of our story a savior on a cross. If you're going to tell the full story of Christmas, you cannot leave Jesus in a cradle. God is Christmas is God giving his son and God gave his son not for show but to die. I thank God for the cradle but the cradle without the cross is useless. For Jesus was not simply born, he was born to die. Christmas is not just the birth of Jesus, it is also the death of Jesus. And so consider first in your outline A, he died a submissive death. In verse 8, Paul says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even, even the death of the cross. You know, Jesus did not have to die. I remember a preacher on the internet, he preached a message entitled, Why Jesus Did Not Have to Die. But he was trying to prove that Jesus did not have to die in order to save us. That is not so. Jesus had to die for us to be saved, but he actually did not have to die because God is under no obligation to save anybody. God doesn't have to save anyone. If God allowed every person in the world to go to hell, that would simply be justice because we all deserve hell. You know, people sometimes say, how could a loving God allow anyone to go to hell? Well, that's the same as saying, how could a loving judge let any guilty criminal go to jail? God did not send Jesus because he had to. God sent Jesus because he wanted to. Consider John 3.16, a familiar verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus was God's proof positive that he loved this world. And Jesus was not sent out of a sense of obligation. He was not sent out of a sense, out of, a sense of desperation. He was sent only out of love. And also Jesus was under no obligation to die for anybody. His life was not taken from him. It was given by him. 
Now, Jesus makes a most remarkable statement in the 10th chapter of John in verses 17 and 18. He says, Therefore my Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So Jesus did not have to die. His life was not taken from him. It was offered by him. Jesus did not die out of obligation. He died out of obedience. And when Paul says in our text, verse 8, he became obedient to the point of death, it does not mean that he surrendered or became subservient to death. Jesus is and forever will be the mighty victor over death. In fact, we're told in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, that Jesus went through death that he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Jesus did not become obedient to death. He was obedient to the Father. That's what he meant when he said in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which states, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Would you like to know how to spell Christmas? I'll tell you how. G-R-A-C-E. And secondly, consider being your odd line. He died a substitutionary death. But Jesus not only died because of me, he died instead of me. And he died in my place. Our text, Romans 5.8 states, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died in our place. Jesus took the cross that those will have to take for all eternity if they don't take Jesus now. You know, there were two young men who studied law together, and one rose to a seat on the judicial bench, and the other one took to drink and wasted his, his life. And on one occasion, time came to pass that this drunkard was brought before his old friend, and he was charged with a crime. And you know, the lawyers are present, knowing the relationship. They wondered what kind of justice would come out of this judge. To the surprise of all, he exacted the heaviest penalty allowed by law on his friend. And then he got up and walked and came down from the bench, went across and he paid the fine himself. And his old friend was set free. That is exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus came down out of glory and he went up to a cross, paid the penalty for our sins that we might be set free. But thirdly, and a key point, consider seeing your outline, he died a shameful death. Listen, he did not die an ordinary death. He died the death of a common, everyday criminal. That's why Paul uses the word even in verse 8. Almost unbelievingly, Paul says, he not only died, but he died on a cross. Not just a natural death, but a criminal death. 
the death of a felon, the death of a traitor, the death of a murderer. That was the kind of death that the Son of God died. Now listen, theologically, Jesus died an initial death as the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the, of the world. Jesus Christ died an official death as the God-selected substitute. Jesus Christ died a judicial death, the judgment death for others. But Jesus died a criminal death that even his heavenly father seemed to have turned his back on him. Jesus died as he did to prove that he was what he was, the Savior, and to prove that we are who we are, sinners, We're all spiritual felons without Jesus Christ. That's why he died a shameful death. But you still need to hear the rest of the story. So number three in your odd line, consider a sovereign with a crown. A sovereign with a crown. The third chapter, the last of our Christmas story, If you want to know the real story of Christmas, you cannot leave Jesus in a cradle. If you want to know the real story of Christmas, you cannot leave Jesus on a cross. For the cradle without the crown is useless, but the cross without the crown is senseless. Jesus was a king, a king who was born, a king who died, but a king who was going to reign forever and ever. The story of Christmas is not going to be complete until this world is properly related to Jesus Christ. Now, this world has not yet given Jesus his due, but it's going to. And you may not have given Jesus his due, but you're going to. For Jesus is Lord, and one of these days we are all going to be rightly related to his lordship some for our good and some for our bad. First, consider A in your outline. We are going to acknowledge his lordship. In our text, verse 11, Paul says, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word confess means to agree with, to openly proclaim. Every pagan tongue, every atheist tongue, every Buddhist tongue, every Muslim tongue, every humanist tongue, every demonic tongue, every angelic tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, not all the world loves Jesus. Not all of the world knows Jesus. Not all of the world has acknowledged his lordship, but it will. Do you know that this world is not going to celebrate Christmas this year again? It's just going to celebrate another religious holiday. For you cannot celebrate Christmas if you have not acknowledged the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I remember offices who had what they called Christmas parties, which are nothing more than drunken orgies. When you celebrate Christmas... You don't get drunk with wine. You get filled with Jesus. And you cannot celebrate Christmas if you don't know him. If you, to celebrate Christmas without knowing Jesus is like being a communist trying to 
trying to celebrate the 4th of July. Listen, every tongue, whether it is by force or, or by faith, whether it is here or whether it is there, whether it is in salvation or whether it is in judgment, is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you may not have acknowledged it. You may not have, conf- have confessed it. But you will. Listen. There is going to come a day. It will either be now when you can be saved or there when you will be judged. But either here or there, you are going to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Secondly, consider being your outline. We're going to accept his lordship. Our text, verse 10, Paul states that the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. To bow is a sign of obedience. It's an act of humility and deference. It is something you do when you are going to worship someone and pay homage to them. You know, I think one of the reasons why the wise men were wise is because they fell down and worshipped the Lord Jesus. When they gave gifts, they acknowledged his lordship. But when they fell down, they accepted his lordship. And we too are going to accept his lordship. It's not a matter of just acknowledging it. We have to accept it. Now that doesn't mean that everyone's going to get saved. They will not. But one day, no one will be able to deny that Jesus is Lord. And Paul takes such pains to point out exactly who's going to do this. When he said every knee, he meant of those in heaven those on earth and those under the earth. That means every angel in heaven is going to confess Jesus as Lord. That means every person on earth who has ever lived is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. That means that every demon in hell, including the devil himself, is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Third, consider in your outline, we are going to acclaim his his lordship. Our text, verse 9, Paul says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. You know, some think the coronation celebration which was held in England a little earlier this year was superb. But you have never seen a celebration, a coronation, like this one is going to be. For this entire service, as every service ought to be, it will bring glory to God the Father. You know, the purpose of this universe, the purpose of all of history, the purpose of your lives is to bring glory to God the Father, and the best way to bring glory to God the Father, no, the only way to bring glory to God the Father is to acclaim the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To honor Jesus is to honor God. To love Jesus is to love God. To accept Jesus is to accept God. And to worship Jesus is to worship God. But to dishonor Jesus is to dishonor God. 
To reject Jesus is to reject God. To ignore Jesus is to ignore God. And it all hinges on Jesus and Jesus as Lord. Listen to this poem before we close. One day our creation shall bow to our Lord. Every now among the angels his name is adored. May we at his coming with glorified throng stand singing his praises in heaven's great song. Jesus, Jesus, Savior adored of all men and angels forever the Lord. When I first read that, I was thinking that our singing that we do every Sunday here is kind of like practice for that day. Amen. Well, service is over. In conclusion, I want you to consider that every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the story of Christmas is not only of the son born in a cradle, not only of a Savior dying on a cross, but it is also a sovereign reigning with a crown. And now you know the rest of the story. Amen.